Welcome to the History of the Bible. Here we will look to the Bible and explore the history of God's story. From the perspective that the Bible is absolute truth with events that actually happen with people that actually live. Never measuring what the Bible says and comparing it to man's theories, but always putting the theories under what the Bible says as truth. Come join us in the History of the Bible podcast. Episode 1, In the Beginning In the beginning, God created. When God finished creating the universe and all that was in it, there was a garden that he had planted. Now in this garden known as the Garden of Eden, God placed the first man and the first woman inside of it. The Garden of Eden and its whereabouts have been debated by many scholars for many years, while others debate if it's a place at all. Rather, believing that it was just a metaphor as a place where God dwelled, and he invited man to have fellowship with him. In the Mesopotamian region, an area that is between the Tigris and the Euphrates River, which is mostly situated in modern-day Iraq, the Sumerian people, a group of ancient city-states in the region that would later be conquered and became the area in which the Babylonians lived. The Sumerians had a word, Eden, which means a plain or steep. What many scholars use to say that Eden is just a myth is a word that describes their god Hadad in Aramaic and Assyrian. Hadad is the god that brings abundance to the land through the watering of the earth. The last three letters of the word can be translated to Hebrew to mean Eden. This is where scholars make the connection between the Sumerian myth and the Garden of Eden. Genesis says that God planted a garden with a variety of fruit trees and where things gave life after its kind. Also, the garden has a river flowing through it that splits into four heads, saying that the garden was where God dwells and the garden was well watered by the river. Scholars go on to show that the similarities of the people of Samaria had a garden story of their own, in which the humans and animals lived together with the divine. Much like many other ancient Eastern civilizations, they had stories of gods living and dwelling among men, but in a sacred place. This can be seen in the ancient Greek myths where the gods would live in the mountains of Olympus and humans would come to meet them. However, the Bible's not about myths and man-made stories. It is the word of God that was given to man without errors. With that being said, the Garden of Eden was a real place that God did plant and place the first humans there. But where is it? This question has been asked by many people throughout the ages, with such a wide range of answers. However, in Genesis, a description of the location of the Garden of Eden is given. A single river flows through it, which then turns into four different rivers. These rivers are the Pishon, the Gihon, the Hedekal, and the Euphrates. The Euphrates River is still seen today in the Middle East. The river begins when the western and eastern Euphrates meet. They originate in the Armenian highland in Western Asia. The region lies mainly in modern-day Turkey, but crosses over into Georgia, Iran, and expands over the whole country of Armenia. From this mountain range is where the Euphrates begins. It then flows from eastern Turkey through Syria and Iraq for about 1,700 miles. It then joins the Tigris River in southern Iraq, creating the modern-day border for Iraq and Iran, and then empties into the Persian Gulf. The Hittakel River is assumed to be the Tigris River, 
based on the reference of the river in Daniel 10. Daniel had a vision while he was in captivity at Babylon on the banks of the great river. Also, the Bible says that it flows east of Assyria. The Tigris and the Euphrates River would then form the Mesopotamian region, meaning between two rivers. The Tigris River starts in modern-day Turkey from a lake in the Armenian highlands. Both the Euphrates and the Tigris River start within only 20 miles of each other. It then flows parallel to the Euphrates River across Turkey and Iraq. The length of the Tigris River runs just under 1,200 miles before it meets the Euphrates River. That leaves the other two rivers, the Pishon and the Gihon. This can get a little more complex because these rivers are not seen today, nor are their names familiar. Many would just say that the earth has changed so much that it would be impossible to ever see the rivers that flowed out of the garden. And maybe that is true. However, the issue with this argument is that Moses was the one that wrote the book of Genesis. And many scholars believe that he was writing from the landscape of his time period. That although the earth may have changed, it is still the same earth that God created. But before taking a look at the other two rivers, this brings up the question of whether or not Moses did write the book of Genesis. Some scholars have come up with the thought that Moses did not actually write the first five books of the Bible. Their hypothesis is called the J-E-D-P. This thought concludes that the books were written by multiple authors, from which they got their history through oral traditions. The J stands for Yahwist, which supposedly lived between the years 900 and 850 BC. Whoever this was, either a group of people or an individual, was said to gather Babylonian and other Mesopotamian myths and compile them together and then add it to the Hebrew history. These passages that were written by Yahwist are said to use the word Yahweh or Jehovah for the name of God from Genesis 2 verse 4 and on. However, this refers to a deeply personal name of God that is personal and covenantal with a relationship with his people. The E stands for Elohist, who lived between 750 and 700 BC in the northern kingdom of Israel. The passages that were supposedly written by him, he uses the word Elohim for the name of God in the first two chapters of Genesis. However, Elohim is a title of God, not a name. The word Elohim means all-powerful, creator, sustainer, and infinite God, which fits perfectly while God was creating the universe. The D stands for Deuteronomy. This book does not have an author, but the book is supposedly found in the temple in Jerusalem in 621 BC. The P stands for priest or priests that lived during the time of the Babylonian exile that wrote so that the people of Israel would have some sort of guidelines to be holy while in the midst of other nations. All these writings were somehow gathered together to create what is now the first five books of the Bible. The reason that this thought became popular is because it came out when evolution was coming out and became popular. Scholars use this hypothesis to say that the Bible happened over a long period of time and evolved into what it is today. However, this is not what is seen in the Bible. The first five books of the Bible have multiple names. The Law, the Law of God, the Law of the Lord, and the Law of Moses. In Greek, the first five books are called the Pentateuch, meaning five volumes. 
almost as if they are one book divided into five different sections. An example of this can be seen in the connection of the beginning of the book of Exodus and the end of Genesis. Now, although the author of Genesis is not stated, it is known that God did tell Moses to write what he told him. That is found in Exodus 24 verse 4. God tells Moses to write down the journey of the Israelites so that they would remember what God had done for them in their journey from Egypt to the promised land. The author of the books was well known with the area as well as Egyptian customs. We also know that the law of God was written by Moses because throughout the New and Old Testament it gives credit to him. Even Jesus does. It is thought that Moses wrote the books around 1445 BC. Now this does not mean that Moses didn't use other resources to help him write the history before he was born. There are parts in the Pentateuch that were after Moses. For example, his death and the names of other locations that he would not have known of are thought to have been written by Joshua based on Jewish tradition. With that being cleared up, let's begin to take a look at the last two rivers. The Pishon River, Genesis 2 verse 11 says, that it expands the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold and it's good, with delium and onyx stone. Many thought to find the source in which all these rivers began and flowed from would be in modern-day Turkey, because that is where the Euphrates and the Tigris River begin. Therefore, it would make sense to find a location in which all four of these rivers begin in Turkey, but there is no connection of these waters anywhere in the area. There have been thoughts that the river could either mean the Ganges River in India. The reason for this view is because the word Havilah could be translated as Hinki, an Aramaic word for India. Others think that it could be the Indus River in India because of the modern-day city Havian in Pakistan. Another thought is the Pishon River is the Nile River in Egypt. The word Pishon is associated with the Hebrew word Pishton, which is flax, which is related to the Egyptian flax industry that was watered by the Nile River. Recent discoveries have also placed the Pishon River as the Kuwait River. This river is a dried up river that used to run from the Hejaz Mountains on the eastern bank of the Red Sea in modern day Saudi Arabia. The Kuwait River then empties into the Persian Gulf. The Hejaz Mountains have a mirrored set of mountain ranges on the western side of the Red Sea as well. The Red Sea is on top of two tectonic plates, the African Plate and the Arabian Plate, forming the Red Sea Rift, which runs from the Dead Sea Transform Fault Line. In whole, the Red Sea Rift runs from Turkey all the way down through modern-day Lebanon and Israel through the Gulf of Aqaba out into the Red Sea. As the two plates pulled away from each other, this first caused the Kuwait River to lose its source of water and dry up. Second, this is what caused the Red Sea to become what it is today. However, there is another thought that the Kuwait River isn't the Pishon River, but the Pishon is what is now the Red Sea, flowing through the Red Sea Rift out through the Gulf of Aden, just south of modern-day country Yemen on the Arabian Peninsula. However, only a few of these places fit the rest of the description in Genesis 2 verse 11 and 12. The name Havilah is mentioned in other places of the Bible. For example, King Saul destroyed the Malachites from Havilah to Sur, which is east of Egypt in modern-day Saudi Arabia. Havilah was also a person, 
the son of Joktan, the great-grandson of Shem, Noah's son. Shem and his descendants lived in the land of Misha, which is east of the Red Sea, also modern-day Saudi Arabia. In Genesis 10, verse 30, it says that many of Shem's descendants moved to the east and west side of the Red Sea. Now, regarding the rest of the description of where the river flowed, looking at delium, it can mean two things. The first, it could be related to a fragrant resin, a gum from trees, related to myrrh. In ancient Egypt, a deceased person is said to have been laid in myrrh and delium to prepare the body for burial. The gum is a white, semi-transparent, waxy color out of the trees until it hardens and then it turns to a yellow-gold color. Mostly used for perfumes and incense, it was found to be used for medicine as well. Delium is a resin that is found in the comphorite trees. An ancient Greek doctor said the delium came from Arabian trees that grow in Arabia, India, Media, and the Babylonian area. However, these trees can also be found in Ethiopia and Sub-Saharan Africa. Basically, the tree can be found anywhere from Africa to India. However, this type of delium could be totally different from what Moses wrote in Genesis. The Hebrew word for betelach is used in Genesis as well as Numbers to describe what manna looked like. It was a yellow light color. The word is thought to be a precious stone based on the context that it was given. Being gold, delium, and onyx stones, the Greek translation of the Old Testament puts the word as a precious stone or crystal because it is associated with precious metal and stone. However, that doesn't fit with the description of manna that it uses the same word to describe it. Another interpretation of the word could mean pearl, which might fit with the white flaky description of manna on the ground resembling a pearl, but actually the word for pearl doesn't come up until later in the Old Testament. Therefore, it is thought that the delium that is mentioned is related to the gum that comes from these trees. Taking that the delium that is mentioned is the gum from the trees in Arabia, India, Media, and the Babylonian area, let's look at the description of gold. It is said to be described by someone that was familiar with it. In this case, it would be Moses. In those times, one of the richest gold mining areas were found just east of the Nile in the land of Nubia in the Arabian desert on the Egyptian side. This side of the Red Sea was one of the richest sources of gold. It turns out that most of the gold that ancient Egypt once held corresponds with the gold from the region east of the Nile River in the land of Nubia. This area was mined by the Egyptians and later the Romans because of its rich deposit of gold. And the mines of Nubia were also found precious stones. With all three of these things placed in or around the Arabian desert east of Egypt, would place the missing Pishon River as the Kuwait River, the Nile, or the Red Sea. Because of the tectonic plate movement, the Red Sea could have been originally a river that flowed out into the Indian Ocean. The Red Sea is called Yam Suf. Yam means sea, but Suf is still up for debate. Many actually believe that the word means reed, although there are no reeds growing there now because of the salty conditions. It is thought in the northern part of the sea, it used to be fresh water that these reeds could actually grow in. That leaves the Gihon River. The word Gihon in Hebrew could be interpreted as bursting forth or gushing. 
And Genesis 2 verse 13 says that the Gion River flowed through the whole land of Cush. The land of Cush is said to be modern day Ethiopia. It also can be considered to be stretching from the north and south side of the Nile from the land of Nubia and the Mediterranean Sea all the way down to Khartoum in modern day Sudan. However, it is thought that Cush, the father of Nimrod, lived in the Assyrian area or the Mesopotamian region because that is where Nimrod's kingdom began. This would be considered the Arabian branch of Cush. Also, what adds to the thought of the land of Cush being Arabia is because Moses' wife was called a Cushite woman by Miriam and Aaron. However, his wife was also a Midianite. The Midianites are said to have lived on the Sinai Peninsula. Many believe that because of this, that the land of Cush could be somewhere in the northwest part of Arabia. However, the land of Cush is also to be thought in the Babylonian area. But this is just because of the Gion River is said to only be in the Mesopotamian area and it couldn't be anywhere else. The people that are related to this Cush is the Cush's nation, a group of people living in the Median Mountains that at one point conquered the Babylonians. So where does that leave the Gion River? Some think that it's the Nile, but that takes the place of the Pishon River. Others think that it's actually the Red Sea. The name Gion is actually mentioned in other areas of the Bible. Solomon was anointed king at Gion. Gion was a spring that came up out of the ground in Jerusalem just outside the city walls. The spring would later be channeled by King Hezekiah before the siege of the Assyrians through a tunnel 1,750 feet in length. The reason that this spring was called Gion or gushing is because every 8 to 10 hours, the spring would gush forth from the underground river and water system. Based on the different locations of the rivers, it is known that the Euphrates and the Tigris River are in the Mesopotamian area. The other two are thought to be either the Kuwait River, which runs through the Arabian Desert and into the Persian Gulf, the Red or Reed Sea that was thought to once be a river before the movement of the earth, or the river is considered the Nile. Except for the Nile and the Kuwait River, the other rivers have all one thing in common. They are all part of the Great Rift System. However, both the Nile and the Kuwait River are next to the Rift System. Because of their proximity to the Great Rift System, either one could be the river that once flowed from Eden. Another thing that has come up more recently is the discovery of a canyon buried under the current Nile River. This canyon rivals the size of the Grand Canyon in Arizona. However, it has been filled with sediment that has caused it to be buried. With that though, if any one of these rivers were the four rivers that the Garden of Eden had coming from it, that would place the garden somewhere between the Mesopotamian region and the Red Sea. Some believe it was Jerusalem, or close to it, the city where the garden once stood. The real reason for this thought is because of the Gion Spring that is next to the city, as well as what Ezekiel says in chapter 47. Ezekiel talks about a river that will flow out from underneath the temple of God. This river that flows out from the temple at a thousand cubits or 1500 feet, it starts out at ankle deep. Going another 1500 feet or so, it gets knee deep. Then another 1500 feet, it's hip deep. Lastly, he went another 1500 feet and it was over his head and could no longer cross the river. Some believe that this is not the temple that is in the new heaven and the new earth 
but actually the temple that will be present during the thousand-year reign of the Lord. However, with all that, no one is sure of where the garden is. Even if it were in the Middle East and Moses was writing from the landscape of his time, researchers have found in Iraq that over 60 feet of sediment has been laid in the Mesopotamian region. Not only showing the sediment from the flood, it being only the first 12 to 15 feet, the rest of the sediment has been laid over the years after the flood. With that being the case, even if Moses was writing from his landscape, it has changed from then until now. Although it isn't definite where the garden is, many scholars can't help but notice how the Bible has always evolved the land around the promised land and how God brings his people back to this land. Also, in the new heaven and new earth, Jerusalem is very important. And although the Garden of Eden's location is unknown, man did fall, and both Adam and Eve were in essence kicked out of the garden so that they would not have access to the tree of life. However, who was the serpent that tempted Eve? Now, the Bible doesn't say in Genesis that the serpent was actually Satan. Many think that it was actually just a serpent that got an idea one day to tempt Eve with eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Although we know that is not true, because later on in the Bible it talks about Satan as the ancient serpent in Revelations 12 verse 9, and chapter 20, verse 2. Also, when the serpent is cursed, God said that there would be enmity between the serpents and the woman's seed. Many try to put the serpent as just another part of the story for the Near Eastern religions, of the serpent being the one thing that brought down humanity to the state that it is now. Others have tried to say that because other Eastern religions see the serpent as a positive thing, that the serpent in the garden must be as well. However, that's not what's seen. The serpent is what tempted Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. Once the fall of man had happened, God then cursed the serpent to crawl on its belly and eat dust. Some think that the meaning of the serpent to crawl on its belly is just a metaphor. That because the serpent was thinking of himself so highly that he would then be brought so low that he would have to crawl on his belly. And others think that the serpent actually had feet and when the curse happened, that serpent lost its feet and was forced to move about on its belly. Others say that the serpent in the garden was a dragon. The reason for this is because the comparison of a dragon in Revelations to the ancient serpent. Another thing that people have thought of in regards to the serpent throughout all ancient Eastern cultures is the serpent or snake is seen as the god of fertility. Therefore, many have said that Eve was actually sexually tempted by the serpent somehow, and that is why it was so shameful for Adam and Eve to be found naked in front of each other. However, in Genesis, it is seen that Eve was actually tempted by the fruit, and seeing that it was pleasant to the eyes, she took it, not the serpent. Although nothing is seen from the serpent again, he is what caused Eve to take hold of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, and to disobey God and obey the serpent. Because of that, man did sin and then was exiled from the garden and sent out. God then placed a cherub to guard the way to the tree of life. And as Adam and Eve went out, they followed God's command to be fruitful and multiply. This leads to Cain and Abel in the first death and murder of a human being. So join us next time as we look at the life of Cain and Abel and what happens to Cain after killing his brother in episode 2, My Brother Who? Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, 
and worthwhile. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible podcast. If you liked it, go ahead and rate and review it. For ways to give feedback or to let us know how this podcast has impacted you, check out the links in the show notes.